Hello, everybody, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast, hosted by yours truly. And we are going to get into the NBA what-ifs here in a minute, but I figured I'd just have a little bit of an open, uh, you know, just to push out some more content. Who doesn't want more content? And this open is about comparing eras, and specifically in basketball. They came out with their... ESPN came out with their top, whatever, 74 greatest players list. I didn't look at it. I saw some of it. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that. But I want to talk about comparing basketball from the 80s, 90s to today. Because I've actually watched, I wouldn't say I've watched a lot, but I've watched some of some of these old games. And I'm done hearing about how the hand, I, I can't notice hand checking in these old games first off. So I think that's a little bit overrated. And I think the physicality is overrated. It's just these few montage clips that we have that's about three minutes long that we see now, and we act that like every single game someone was getting tackled. Like these guys weren't playing tackle football. Michael Jordan was not an NFL running back. So pretty much the big takeaway is like if you're a person that's pretty much like me that's watched 2010's basketball, you're like, all right, a little bit more post-ups. The guys aren't as athletic. The game's a little bit slower, and hey, that mid-range jump shot looks a little weird. And I think there is this thing where every single time, and I don't know why, it's a human nature, it's a generation thing, where one generation grows older, and they do it their way, and they think that their way was the best way, and when they get up higher, and you're right now, if you're a person from the 90s, and you're in your 40s or 50s, and you're watching some of these young kids now, first off, there's a lot of envy. You envy that Tobias Harris is making $180 million, even though he's not going to make an All-Star game ever. You envy that all of these guys are making $40 million, when back in your day you could barely make a few million, if that. And it's the same exact thing. I've been reading this old book. It's called Loose Balls, The Story of the ABA by Terry Pluto. And there's one quote early in it where it's this one player, because obviously the ABA was like late 60s and it went through most of the 70s. I think it failed in 77. And there's this one quote from this player where he was like, you know what, these guys today, they're all paid too much and they weren't, they, you know, the game's not as physical now. It's all a love fest. And I'm like, did that guy just, <laughs> did someone from 2000, did Jalen Rose from 2020 go back into the 90s and give that quote? <laughs> For Terry Pluto, but essentially saying that this happens. It keeps going on from generation to generation. And I think we have just misconceptions on players' skill set. And I hate when people say, oh, you come back today. You also have to factor in the bad things about what happened today. The AAU system we have is horrible. They run these kids, I mean, not anymore because there's no basketball going on because of the virus. But they run these kids all weekend, all year. They play five, ten games a weekend. They run, they wear down their bodies, and they're also getting to the league earlier. So these kids' bodies are actually wearing out a little bit faster than they normally would. And it's also, I think we underrate the aspect of social media. Social media killed LeBron James. Believe it or not, LeBron James isn't mentally weak. Kevin Durant isn't mentally weak. But when you have to understand, when you grow up in this access and you have social media when you're younger and you keep growing up and then you actually get to this fame, things that you do when you're 26, 27, 28, and you are this monumental person, 
that you actually could get away with the stuff that you did when you were 16, you couldn't get away with it now. And you actually have access to all these haters. And I saw that thing with Michael Jordan going, reading that newspaper, and he's like, oh, I got something for you. Yeah, if it was if he was in 2020, he would just be strolling through his phone, and you can go down a rabbit hole with that because it's just unlimited. It's just unlimited access. And this isn't me to say, you know what, people wouldn't, from the old wouldn't survive today, and people from the new would dominate in the old days. It's me saying that we have an inaccurate representation of this. And also, I'm done listening to players when they talk about this because players typically, for the most part, I'm not going to say all, but I'm going to say for the most part, either have a bias or they have a hidden agenda. So have you ever noticed that, like, guys from, like, the 90s are just going to, like, severely, like, overrate the players that they played with? You know, they're like, oh, my God, look, Patrick Ewing. You know, Hakeem Olajuwon's a top five guy. Oh, look at that Charles Barkley guy. You know, Isaiah Thomas, I think he's top 10. Isaiah Thomas, good guy. Probably top 30, not top 10. And there's also this thing, too, where they also, like, even back on what I was just saying, Kendrick Perkins calls LeBron number one. He played with him. Kendrick Persons also, like, rates everyone that's super high are guys that he played with. But there's also this thing, too, where guys from the old or even, you know, 10, 15 years ago, like the Bad Boy Pistons. I saw Bill Beer being, like, on ESPN a week or two ago, and he was like, you know what? Like, I think LeBron's better than Jordan. It's just like – and it's like, yeah, you probably think that because for the most part when Bill Beer and the Pistons played Jordan, more often than not, the Pistons actually beat the Bulls. So in their mind, they're like, hey, we kicked his ass for the most part. He just swept us one year when we got a little bit older. We kept losing guys in the expansion draft. So we were better than him. And it's also the same thing, too, when you're the Celtics, like the big three Celtics in the 2000s, when you have Pierce, Garnett, um, and they beat LeBron a bunch of times, and they're like, okay, you know what? This LeBron guy's not that good. We beat him up, and we made him have to go to Miami. So we have we can't players you really just can't you really don't understand it. It's like Charles Barkley's like, you know what, I have Oscar Robinson in my top five. And we also did this TNT players draft where they draft their all time teams and Charles Barkley had the first overall pick and he drafted Allen Iverson. You also have to factor that in. Maybe not Charles Barkley's brightest moment there. And also I might do this later. I don't know if I'll do it anytime soon. But we have this revisionist history on Wilt Chamberlain. People hated Wilt Chamberlain, and I think people just look back and they're like, oh my god, look at all those points. Oh my god, he averaged, he led the league in assist rate one year. Wilt Chamberlain was really good. He was probably the most physically talented and most physically gifted player of that era, but he didn't know how to win like Bill Russell did. So when people are like, you know what, Bill Russell only, he, he only averaged like 15 points. Every time he played Wilt Chamberlain, he kicked his ass. Like, he kicked his ass, and you're like, well, you know what, Wilt got whatever on him because he was Wilt and it's like okay like Wilt just didn't know how to play he was a horrible free throw shooter so I think we overrate Will Chamberlain and I think we underrate Bill Russell and you're like oh Will Chamberlain didn't play with a lot of people oh he had uh he had Jerry West and Elgin Baylor with him for a few years does that not help as good Jerry West Elgin Baylor both top 20 players all time by the way had Hal Greer Billy Cunningham both Hall of Famers so pretty much I think is to say is it's really hard. I don't know how to do it. I'm not exactly know how to do it. You kind of just have to compare accolades. 
You really can't. I hate playing the, hey, drop him in this era game, drop him in this era game. And I also hate when you do that and you don't bring all of the factors back. And also, the bad boy Pistons wanted to beat up LeBron. The reason they wanted to beat up Jordan is because they're like, you know what? He's a little bit smaller. We got a bunch of guys that are like 6'8", 6'9". Jordan's like 6'6", maybe a little pretty strong, but a little thin. I think we can push him around a little bit. They see LeBron James. They're not pushing him around because they're like, oh, my God, that guy is bigger than us. So, yeah, let's just – you got to – if you're going to compare eras, you have to be knowledgeable of it. You can't just ask anyone. And also, I think it's dumb if you're a person that didn't watch or didn't read about anything from the past and you're comparing Russell Chamberlain or whatever. So that was pretty much just my opening little rant that I wanted to get off my chest because it kind of annoyed me of what everything that's been going on. So uh, we're going to have a little bit of an ad here, and then we're going to get into the NBA what-ifs that involve James Harden, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony. What about Zion? A Zion what-if. Man, I bet you can't wait to listen to that. Coming up soon. Let's play the what-if game. You know what I mean. What if I took that job? What if I went to a different college? What if I didn't get so drunk last night? Little things can have huge ripple effects. The NBA is a professional sport where teams and players have huge impact on the outcome and layout of their league. One of the bigger what-ifs in NBA history is what if the Portland Trailblazers drafted Michael Jordan instead of an injury-prone center? Another big what-if in NBA history is what if the Portland Trailblazers drafted Kevin Durant instead of an injury-prone center. Both of these are huge what-ifs that have affected basketball immensely over the past 40 years. But I think we haven't gone over a lot of the biggest what-ifs involving the NBA players we have in the league today. So for the purpose of this podcast and the next one or two that follow, we are going to explore the biggest NBA what-ifs of the 2010s and speculate how life could be different if just a few things went differently. A few qualifiers with this list. We are avoiding injury what-ifs because injuries are a part of the game. We are avoiding draft-related what-ifs unless the right decision was glaringly obvious at the time and the team still screwed up, Portland Trailblazers. We are also going to avoid little in-game what-if scenarios. What if a player's shot didn't go in or what if a player didn't get called for a foul? Let's get started. What if the Oklahoma City Thunder didn't trade James Harden? In the 2012 NBA offseason, Sam Presti and Daryl Morey came to an agreement that may be the biggest what-if in the history of professional basketball, or maybe of all sports. The Oklahoma City Thunder were coming off a terrific season and an NBA Finals appearance. An NBA Finals that was a lot closer than the 4-1 record of it indicated. The Thunder had three of the best players in the NBA under the age of 24, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. KD was a three-time first-team All-NBA member and a three-time scoring champion at the age of 23. Russell Westbrook was a two-time second-team All-NBA member at the age of 23. James Harden was the sixth man of the year at the age of 22. The Thunder had a problem, a good problem, but it was still a problem. They had a bunch of talent on their roster, but had no idea how it would fit. Kevin Durant was never going to be moved because he was by far the most talented. 
Westbrook had already proven he is a superstar, and OKC franchise catered to Westbrook because they discovered him in the draft. They picked Westbrook at four when he easily could have slipped a few spots lower. James Harden was the odd man out of this triangle of budding stars. Sure, he was the reigning sixth man of the year, but he was less than stellar defensively and was absolutely horrible in the recent NBA Finals, his last games as a member of the Thunder. Oklahoma City's problem was that they didn't necessarily want to pay James Harden. The famous story was that they trade James Harden just to save a million dollars. This isn't necessarily the whole story, but it does have some truth to it. Yes, the Thunder did save some money, but did not have to give Harden an extension at that time. But if you did any sort of research during the NBA and the cap situation at the time, you would know that the NBA salary cap was due to spike within the next few years due to a massive TV contract. So giving Harden an extension really would have cost them too much money in the long term with the cap going up. So why would the Thunder trade Harden if they would have still been able to afford him without demolishing their cap? Are they dumb? No. Truth is the Thunder probably thought that the trade with Houston was a good deal for them. OKC was giving up Harden for Jeremy Lamb, Kevin Martin, two first round picks, and a second rounder. One of those first rounders turned out to be Steven Adams. OKC also liked the idea to have Lamb and Martin as their wings to pair with their dynamic Batman and Robin duo of Durant and Westbrook. They also got a few first round picks. We all know GMs love assets. Sure, it was a bonus that they saved some money in the short term, but it wasn't the motive to trade Harden. The ripple effects if they keep him are immense. If they keep Harden, they have three future MVP caliber players on the roster, all at a very young age. I don't know the exact number, but I would assume even in the worst case scenario, the Thunder would have won at least, at least one NBA championship. Following season, they lost in the Western Conference semifinals to Memphis. The season after, they made it to the Western Finals against San Antonio. However, Westbrook was injured for part of the season, allowing Durant to take over and win his first and only MVP award. If they still had Harden, could OKC have beaten San Antonio and made it to the Finals? Could they have beaten a Miami team that with everyone except LeBron was on their last legs? What if OKC ends up deciding they should keep Harden and Durant instead of Westbrook and Durant? This certainly would have been a better nucleus and maybe would have resulted in championships if not making Kevin Durant stay in Oklahoma. What if they don't win and Durant leaves anyway? Maybe they still have Harden and Westbrook who is an elite backcourt that Houston currently has. Maybe the three superstars mesh together and create the greatest dynasty the NBA has ever seen and ever will see. What if they didn't want to save $3 million? That's the question. The next what if. What if Carmelo Anthony was a free agent in 2010? When Miami made their big three, it wasn't supposed to include Chris Bosh. Of course, D-Wade and LeBron have love for Bosh, but he wasn't on the banana boat. The man who was supposed to be on that big three was Carmelo Anthony. Due to how Carmelo handled his contracts, he was due to be a free agent in the summer of 2011 instead of 2010 when the Big Three was assembled. If Carmelo is a part of the Big Three, it changes his career for the better. If he is the third best player on a championship team, that helps solidify his legacy as an all-time great. 
on anyone's imaginary list of greatest NBA players, Melo would have certainly catapulted above the Reggie Millers and Dwight Howards of the world. Maybe with Melo, they win more than just two rings in Miami. Maybe he is good enough to be a difference maker in the 2011 finals Miami lost to Dallas. Maybe he could have been a difference maker in the 2014 finals Miami was outmatched against San Antonio. Instead, Melo stayed in Denver, only to ask for and eventually be traded to the Knicks in the 2010-11 season. He was the best player on a Knicks team whose ceiling was the Eastern Conference semifinals. He later re-signed with the Knicks for money, knowing that the franchise wasn't going to surround him with anything. This brings together an age-old theory in sports. Would you sacrifice money for championships? Carmelo didn't become a free agent in 2010, so he could get more money from Denver and New York. Meanwhile, D-Wade, Braun, and Bosch took discounts to form the Heatles. Carmelo also could have went into free agency in 2014 and went to the Rockets or Miami or anywhere else that is not the Knicks to try and be in a better position to win. But Carmelo stayed in New York for the money. Not saying that Carmelo didn't want to win, but he could have sacrificed a few bucks here or there to better position himself to get some rings. That is enough to put Carmelo's contracts on the what-if list. Next what-if. This is a recent one. What if the Knicks won the Zion lottery? This is definitely one we don't know all the answers to yet, but it is still very interesting. In a new lottery format that the NBA unveiled for the most anticipated lottery of the decade, the Knicks were one of three teams who had the highest odds of getting the lucky ping pong ball that would propel them into the 2020s on a high note. When the Knicks were announced as one of the four eligible teams to be for the first pick, people became antsy, hoping that the basketball gods would bless the tormented Knicks fans with the newest basketball phenom, Zion Williamson. However, the Knicks got the third pick, and the New Orleans Pelicans got the lucky ping pong ball, even though they only had a 6% chance of getting Zion. The what-if possibilities of this scenario obviously aren't as defined yet, as they will be in a few years, but let's have the sports detective take a look at what would have happened if the Knicks got Zion. The Knicks win the lottery and select Zion. This could have set off a chain of events that affect multiple franchises. It was rumored the whole 2019 NBA season that Kevin Durant may be taking his talents to the New York Knicks in the offseason. As we know now, him and Kyrie Irving went to the Brooklyn Nets across town instead. Would a Zion lottery pick have been enough to sway Katie and Kyrie to choose the Knicks over Brooklyn? What if the Knicks would have flipped Zion for AD anyways? The Knicks could have potentially created the newest big three of the Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and Anthony Davis. Or they don't trade Zion and have him as part of the big three. Or they just keep Zion without getting any superstar free agents. If this is the scenario, the Knicks have a young budding superstar that they would eventually destroy. Bear with me for a minute. To start the 2019-2020 season, Zion was drafted by New Orleans, and David Griffin surrounded him with veteran free agents and the King's ransom they got for Anthony Davis. If he goes to New York, they have no talent on their roster and sign a bunch of power forwards to pair with Zion. Overpaying a power forward is the basketball equivalent to overpaying a running back. If Zion gets hurt in New York, the Knicks may not have the patience of the Pelicans to teach Zion how to walk differently to help prevent future knee injuries. 
This is the same method the Golden State Warriors used to help Steph Curry prevent ankle injuries. Knicks ticket prices would have soared, and definitely sold out as they usually do. The pressure to have Zion return so fans wouldn't have to watch their typical dumpster fire team would be higher. Maybe the team asked Zion to come back too soon from his injuries, and he re-injures himself. Maybe for the worse. And maybe he battles injuries in New York for his whole career, like many feared his body type would be inevitable of preventing coming out of college. Like I said, we don't know how his career is going to turn out yet. But my guess is it will become one of the bigger what-ifs in NBA history when we see where his career will go. What if the Knicks won the lottery? Okay, thanks for listening. That's the pod. Uh, We'll be back next week with another part three of the strange, obscure, and awesome nicknames. I think these are this week's is probably just going to be strange and obscure. And then after that, not sure where we're going. Working on a golf pod, believe it or not, on a superstar in golf from the 90s. And I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I think it might be one of the better pods I've done so far. So... Yep, keep listening. Go back and listen to some old pods, and we'll see you next time.